The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. I would say as always, but it's not as always, you have Pootie and with a special guest, Grant Van Brimmer from the Woke Podcast is here with me today. How you doing, Grant? Hey, I'm doing great. What's up, Rebel community? Everybody knows you, I think, now, because we, we keep telling everybody to listen to your podcast. I don't even call it the Awakening Reformation. It's just the Woke <laughs> Podcast to me. I don't, I don't know if you caught that one. I'm that... it. No, I did. I did. I did. That was funny. <laughs> This is going to go great, I think. Nate is home from Iraq, but we're doing our crossover episode. So um, if anybody doesn't know Grant, Grant is – you're an army chaplain. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about what you do just in case anybody's listening to the rebels that doesn't know who you are. Yeah. So I am in the U.S. Army, uh, chaplain assistant, or I have another fancier name that's just confusing. But yeah, I just I work at a chapel here in Brooklyn and help run the chaplain essentially, but – yeah, I've been working for the Chaplain Corps in the U.S. Army for about nine years now. That's awesome. And you've, and you've done tours like overseas and whatnot, right? Yeah, I've been to Afghanistan two times, been to Africa one time. A couple of those trips were with Special Operations Command too, so being able to work with chaplains within Special Forces guys, which has been probably the best time of my my time in the Army so far. Wicked. Wicked. And you're... Uh... Now living in New York City, right? That's right. So you're in the heart. Of, now you're actually in the heart of darkness. That's right. There's. A, I thought I had seen some things until, until we got here. That's that's great. Well, we we are happy to have you on the on the pack on the on the podcast. Is the words I was trying to get out there. And we're just going to do some rebel news today, so we can get an American take on the rebel news issue. So I'm going to hit you with the very first one, and I sent this one to you guys. A couple oh, days no. ago on our, on our Facebook thread, yeah. this is about <laughs> a Dutch family who has basically been charged for keeping their kids captive in uh, a Dutch home, waiting for the end times, waiting for Jesus to come back to earth. So what do you think of that, Grant? <laughs> well, when you sent that to us, the very first thing that just made me sad was just Dutch. <laughs> I was like, why? Why does it why do they need to be Dutch? <laughs> you know, talk about, you know, an eschatology and, and following through with it to the nth degree. You know what I mean? They they really believed uh whatever, the world is ending and this guy, I mean, he went the whole nine to prepare himself and the family <laughs> and and literally went into hiding for how many years was it? Like six, like nine years or something? Yeah, nine nine years. Yeah. Two of his kids didn't even know that there were other people on Earth. Oh gosh. So, so do you remember the movie? Kids. What was that movie? Blast from the Past. Blast from the Past. I don't is know that, that one. Called? Brendan Fraser and 
Alicia Silverstone. And <laughs> it was during the Cold War era and a plane crashes by their house in the movie and the dad thinks that it's the Russians bombing. And so they go into their underground bunker and they're like, we can't go outside. We can't risk the nuclear uh, fallout. And so they literally stay underground for like a couple decades and then finally come up. And I think they lived in like Los Angeles. And since it did, you know, degenerate so much in those 30 years, they really thought it was the fallout. <laughs> That's what That's it reminded amazing. me of. It really reminded me of this movie and how, uh, you know, this whole bunker prepper mindset is, uh, it's an eschatology that obviously is not a biblical one, though. No, absolutely not. I had kind of the same thought when I read the story. I was like, on one hand, I'm sickened by the fact that this is how you think the Bible has told you to live. But then, too, on the one hand, I was like, okay, well, if, if that is what you believe, way to take it the full nine yards. Too many people, I think don't play out their eschatology, they don't play out their faith to the ninth degree, mm -hmm. to the end. And at least this person did. I'm not condoning what he's done, but at least this person took it seriously enough to do something about it. I, I found that kind of funny. I thought of the movie um, Cloverfield. You know oh, that yeah, series? Yeah, yeah. There's the one with John Goodman where he's in the bunker, yes. and he actually has a reason to be in the bunker, but nobody believes <laughs> him. That's what I thought of. I was just like, I wonder how long I could live in a bunker. So I'm going to ask you, how long do you think you could survive just bunkered down? Nobody else, just you, the wife, the kids, that's it. That's a super good question. <laughs> I give myself about six hours. Man, see, I've, I've been able, you know, I've been forced into certain, you know, situations where my circumstances are pretty terrible and you just have to endure. So I think I could go for a while. I could not go nine years, though. <laughs> nine years. That's impressive. Like yeah. you gotta, you yeah. gotta be checking or something. You know, like hey, have things gotten any worse or I don't know something. There's definitely a delusion with that guy. Um, what's What's funny is that 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 becomes the headline. Not that he kidnapped his family or anything, but it's like <laughs> yeah. Christian end times guy is crazy. And it's like, how long do you think it would take? How many stories do we need to hear about that playing out before people start realizing that we keep looking to Jesus to come back? and basically rescue the world when the Bible very clearly tells us that we're to do that work. You know what I mean? We're to like spread the kingdom through his power. Obviously it's not, we're not going to save the world. He saves the world, but mm -hmm. how long is that going to be the, the narrative about the Christian Christian end game where it's just like, we're just going to bunker down and, and hope for the best. Well, yeah. And you want. A, a couple of things too is obviously he's not going to church while he's down there. So there's a basic Christian you know, command that he's ignoring. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He's not doing that. <laughs> Doesn't exactly. just mean your family. And also, like, how how is he really fulfilling the Great Commission in any sense by making disciples and bunkering down like that? So, obviously, it, it doesn't look at, you know, Christianity as a whole. But you know what's funny is our culture, and this is more of on the extreme environmentalism end, they are saying the world is ending soon. Like, we need action now. You know, and this guy is like, yeah. all right, I'm just going to go bunker down for nine years or, you know, it's not livable up here, I guess. So I'm going to head down here and into my climate controlled tin can <laughs> warehouse. <laughs> I, I would love to see it. I would love to get a tour of what he's built there right? just for my own morbid curiosity. But he had some money too, about, right? I mean, he had to have had he, some he money. Must have. Yeah. He, see, I, if it makes you feel any better when I read it, 
I know it said Dutch family, but I was I naturally just thought, oh, he's probably Dutch. Like, <laughs> like probably like that's yeah. what I was hoping, yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, apparently not. All right, I got another one for you, my friend. Okay. This one's kind of up your alley because of the fact that uh, you you once lived in California. But have you heard about what happened? San Francisco has blacklisted 22 pro-life states, banning all business and travel. So the city has has banned states within their own country. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to this. So in in essence, this is their excommunication, right? They're saying you're no longer welcome – in our fellowship. This is their form of excommunication. But I just can't help but think that if I was in any of those states, it would be like the, you know, you hang up the phone once they've told you, hey, we're no longer flying because, or, you know, flying, traveling to your state because of that. That's when you hang up and then your colleague next to you, you like high five. (laughs) You know? Yes. Finally, the Californians will leave us alone with their craziness. And, you know, there's a lot of states where like Texas, Idaho, and maybe some others where a lot of people from California are selling their homes and moving there because it's a lot cheaper. But when they move, they come to this flourishing state, but they bring their ideologies there. And then it changes the political demographic. And you start seeing parts of Texas going to Hillary in in the last election. And you're like, what is happening? But it's because thousands and thousands of Californians have moved to certain areas of Texas and to Idaho. And sometimes you hear the cross-politic guys talk about, you know, people from California moving there and bringing their ideas there too. And it's kind of, they're coming to an area that's doing better than where they live, but it's because of the ideology. So stop it, you know? I can just see all these other states, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, or whatever, just being happy that their influence maybe isn't going to leak into their states now. <laughs> so that's interesting. I've never thought about the fact that uh, you'd have all, you almost have like in the U S you have like internal immigration. Yeah. So like, you, as you're saying, like people from more liberal States, New York, who it's just too expensive to live there really right. move to the, the easier to live in States like Idaho and Ohio and whatnot. But they do the same thing that foreign people would do when they move into a country, they bring their culture with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you start to see that. So it's, it's funny that they're, when I say they, I mean like the, the more liberal among us are very good at doing that, where I almost feel like Christians are bad at doing that, right? Yeah, like, they We're abandoned. not always great at like... Yeah, they abandon their beliefs or their policies and ideas quicker and don't hold fast to it like they should. Exactly. Join Bible Discovery TV at Answers in Genesis Gospel Reset Mega Conference this November 20th to 22nd at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Niagara Falls. Come be equipped by apologists and evangelists and a PhD scientist, including the founder of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, Mr. Ken Ham. Don't miss out on this faith-building event. Go to AnswersInGenesis.org website for information and registration. Let 
me ask you a question I, I, about just America in general, because yeah. I, I think some of our listeners, obviously most of our listeners are American, uh, but I'm an England Canadian, so let me ask you some questions. Do you get a sense in the States of, like, the divide on the news and stuff? Because bear in mind, I, I see the news, right? It seems like there's a really huge divide. Do you get a sense day to day about the tension that there is in the States right now? It's interesting because you have to kind of put yourself out there to even bring up the conversation. Usually that's something that's avoided just because you see on the news where people get heated and and fight about it. But when it does come up, though, it is. It's a stark divide between – and this is even people I work with right now day to day in the same hallway that I know their beliefs are just completely opposite of mine when it comes to family, when it comes to sexual ethics and all that kind of stuff. And it's because of my my Christianity that makes me different – And you can tell when people are just listening and believing anything they see on the news. And I have some other soldiers that I work with that they'll say certain things. And I'm like, you literally just believed the headline. Didn't even think twice about it. You just went right along with whatever CNN was saying on their headline. And I'll I'll say the the opposite view back. You know, well, what about da-da-da? And it usually doesn't get heated. Usually it just kind of, okay, and then we move on and have to work. It doesn't ever become too contentious or anything. But yeah, the ideological divide is really significant. It really is. But I do think there are lots of people, and I actually talked to Nate about this when they visited. I do think there are a lot of people that just don't have a spine. That if you were to get them in a closed room, no one, you know, nothing being recorded, nothing, and you go, okay, listen, do you really believe the guy can just say he's a girl or, you know, whatever? <laughs> And, and they'd be like, well, no, I, yeah, no. But they're afraid of the mob, right? They're afraid of who's Facebook living at the moment or who's going to snap a picture of them and post it everywhere. And then now their business is gone because they're a bigot and they're or whatever. So I, I think there's a lot of just cowardice in that way, just because the air is, is that you must believe this way. It's almost because we live in such a headline culture, right? Where yeah. all you have to do is like, be misquoted or one something you said is gets public and then your business is gone. You're branded as all these things that you're not. But like, because we all like headline is the only thing, as you said, only thing anybody ever reads, nobody ever reads the seventh page retraction three weeks later or the mm-hmm. whole context of a scenario, which is why we get people who are considered racists or something like that for yeah. nothing. Or we get like situations like the baker who wouldn't bake the cake. Right. But it's like, no, he, he would bake the cake in almost every other cir- circumstance, <laughs> yeah. just, just, just not this one. And that's what makes the headline. Yeah. So I, fi- I find it very interesting that it's like because we live in such a headline culture, people are afraid to take a stand on anything. And then those that do are basically setting a target on their back, right? Yeah, and I feel like a lot of Christians in America or maybe the West even just have such a shallow faith too. You know, we don't preach the word like we should. And so when it does come time to test, you know, like a sword, I think I heard this recently, like, you you know, a sword is tested, that metal is tested, and then you take it to battle. You don't take it straight out. But if Christians aren't tested on their knowledge of the word and actually practicing it under pressure— then yeah, of course, they're going to be cowardly and not be able to stand up to it. They're going to bend right over, you know. Absolutely. I like that imagery of like, you would never take your battle gear out for the first time. Yeah. In battle, you would do this all the all the preparation beforehand, all the training that would go in beforehand before you would ever step foot onto the battlefield. It's the same thing in our faith, right? Yeah. Until you know your word of God, until you've prayed, until you've committed, you're almost like 
an untested weapon mm-hmm. out there, right? Like, so you you might have a sharp edge, you might have some good things, but it takes trial, it takes tribulation, it takes those pr- almost practice conversations before yeah. you're you're ready to be the pinnacle, the sharp edge of the sword, right? So um, I think that's actually really practically good advice for Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Pour yourself into the Word of God, know it back and front, yeah. So that when you are confronted with this, then you can be bold, you can step up and say, "No, I, I think this, and this is what the Word of God says." I think that's fantastic. So I have kind of a funnier one. Um, I love it. I love it. That I wanted to talk to you about that goes hand in hand with what you do in your main ministry as a worship leader. You're a worship leader, right? <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So poorly, but yes. So I want to laugh about this, but also actually ask a good question. This is more churchy than culturally, but um, so goes the church. So goes the culture, right? Amen. All right. So this is Babylon B. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if you saw this or not, but the headline is worship leader commits 47 heresies in 32nd prayer. (laughs) Braintree, Massachusetts, during a brief prayer while leading worship at Tidal Wave Church, which that's just hilarious. Okay. Tidal Wave Church. I like the water reference. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot. Tidal Wave. It's getting you. Local worship leader Brian, quote, hatchback, Lancer, managed to espouse no less than 47 different heresies, according to witnesses. This is a quote. Father God, we just come before your spirit now, and we just thank you, Father God, for dying on the cross for us. Lancer's prayer began, immediately falling into heresy. Quote, Send the Father down in power now, and let your Son fill this place as we glorify the Spirit now, Lord Jesus. He goes on, thank, Thanks so much, Daddy, for creating Jesus and sending him to earth in spirit so we could learn to fulfill your law, Holy Spirit. As his fellow Christians could only peek out one eye and watch in terror, Lancer plowed forward, totally unaware he was totally botching nearly every facet of Christian thought, (laughs) repeating a long parade of heresies from throughout church history. In the brief whimsical prayer, Lancer managed to stumble into Gnosticism, Pelagianism, Arianism, Patropassionism, and a brand new heresy with elements of both modalism and the plot of Stargate SG-1. (laughs) (laughs) I love the B. Head pastor Matt Wetzel says, It was pretty amazing, actually. I was going to stop him, but I wanted to see if he could hit every apostasy known to man. Wetzel also admitted he needs to do a better job shepherding the worship leader. Quote, Yeah, I guess that's my job, isn't it? Oh, there's so much there. Oh, uh, so this does hit on a serious issue. And what are your thoughts about this and worship leaders doing their thing? Okay, I have a, I have a couple. Okay. First, I just want to be very public. <laughs> if you ever prank daddy... <laughs> like, like, that just needs to stop. That's something that needs to be abolished. Just forbidden. far away from the east is the west. That's right. That's terrible. That's terrible. Bottom of the I ocean. Know, I, the thing is, we all know that Christian. We all know that guy. He was in our youth group. He was in our yeah. small group at one point. Oh, yeah. And he just, yeah, he's irritating. That needs to happen. <laughs> and it's always a guy. I've never heard a girl do it. It's always a dude. So that's the first thing. But that's the, like the less serious of the other thing. Yeah. I think that actually hits pretty accurate on 
on our Christian culture in the West, where most Christians, I would say, get 90% of their theology from worship songs. And the reason is because it's easier to throw on the radio and listen to Oceans than it is to actually pick up the Word of God and read the story in in Matthew, or read the story in Luke, because that takes commitment and that takes time where a song Mm -hmm. is four minutes long. And I think we're so attracted to the idea of singing good melodies, and I have no problems with singing good melodies, don't get me wrong. We're so attracted to the, how do I word this? almost the attractional part of our services, Mm -hmm. the music, the worship, that we forget oftentimes that the two main things that happen in most Sunday services in the West anyway, for sure, are preaching and singing. Those are the two main pillars of what happened on a Sunday morning. So we need to be as concerned with the lyrics that we're singing as with the words that are being taught to us. Mm -hmm. So I, I always say like with, like us at Crossroads, and this comes from the top down. This comes from Nate, the elders, to the worship leaders. I, I kind of lead our worship ministry, and then I have a couple of leaders underneath me. We're almost more strict on the lyrics than we would be on like any song. Like We'll have tons of songs that come out where we're like, that's a good song, but it just says one thing that we're not – is either a little too hard to understand or people aren't going to get it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to explain worship songs away. So we're, we'll cut – like we're ruthless about it. Worship is uh, somebody said it. I think it was uh, I think it was Matt Redman, but he basically described worship as praying twice: once with your head as you as you take in the lyrics, and once with your heart as you worship the one who's worthy, right? Okay. And so, like, we need to be as diligent as we are with our pastors because we're our pastors. If you have a good pastor, they're telling you to check what they're saying every week against the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I think good churches do that. We keep our pastors accountable by. Is what he's preaching to us in a line with what the Word of God says? Well, our worship needs to be just as fundamentally and, and strictly guided as that is. Because the truth is, only real worship is when we are singing what the Word of God teaches us, affirming the things that the Word of God teaches us. And so I think that article makes light of a big problem in the Western church, I think. And that is that it's simply fluff. And I don't bash all worship from certain churches <laughs> who are name, nameless Hillsong. Um, but like, I don't say every one of their songs is bad, uh-huh. but I, I say we need to take every song that comes our way and compare the lyrics that we sing there to the word of God before we even get in. Does it have a good melody? Is it worth singing? Yeah. Because like, it's not about us, right? It's like our worship should teach our people as much as, not as much, but it has a part to play in the teaching of our people as they go through the week. Because the truth is, if I sing a song that's crap on a Sunday morning, I don't want my congregation singing that throughout the rest of the week. Whereas yeah. if I sing Christ alone, I want my congregation to be thinking about the fact that it is through Christ alone. It's his right. blood. It's his his righteousness. I want them to be thinking and dwelling on that over the course of the week, right? So I think that's a great one. I, I, I love the fact that you read the entire Babylon PR. <laughs> that um, it's short enough so thing. I could get it in there. It was, it, but it was good too all the way through. It's so good. Now, the, the, the thing about worship music, and I've really thought about this a lot because I started out in high school playing on worship teams for youth group and for church and stuff. And so it was something I was in and around a lot. But the depth of the hymns, I remember just hitting me and going, man, why have we walked away from this? And what I loved were the bands or the people taking the, the depth and the theological richness of hymns, but putting it to contemporary music. Right. And as much as, you know, just a piano and a a loud congregation or just an organ and a loud congregation is pretty awesome by itself. I still love, you know, a good contemporary typed uh, praise band. 
But it was the theological depth and richness of the songs that were, it was like, why, why did we ever go away from this? You know, and someone else said, you know, the different elements of the worship service, but with music, it's, you know, you're singing the gospel. You know, you preach the gospel, pray the gospel, sing the gospel. And so the songs should, whether or not they relate to the sermon or not, they should still be representing the gospel, just like the sermon should be representing the gospel and your prayers should, and the whole the whole thing of it should be gospel-centered. And that doesn't happen when you're using fluff songs like you're talking about that just literally talk about waves and you being, you know, enveloped by them. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, those are our battle songs. You know, we're, we're just talking about, you know, a tested sword and stuff. And we do need to look at our songs and think, how are these equipping us, right? Okay. How are these adding weapons to us? How are they equipping and encouraging and strengthening us to go out for battle? Which is what, you know, the end of the worship service should be is, okay, now go there for it, right? You've been nourished, you've been fed, you've been encouraged, and now go out. And so the song should equip too. And you know, when you said um, we should take every song, it made me think of that verse, take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. And we should take every worship song into the obedience of Christ. Take every song captive, you know, and make sure that it's Amen. obeying the gospel and in, in what it says and communicates. That's absolutely right. Have you ever heard of the band Skillet? Yeah. Okay, so the lead singer of the band Skillet recently actually just said something similar to this. He basically said, worship songs are crap now, and we need to get back to what the Word of God says and singing the Word of God. And it's funny, recently we had a like a church survey type thing that came out. I don't know mm-hmm. if I should share this, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> ask for forgiveness later. And it was funny. We asked about the worship. What do you think about our lyrics of our songs and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And it was funny. One of the comments we got, I don't know who it was from. One of the comments we got was about a song that we sing, which is just the lyrics of Psalm 2. Oh. And they were like, we don't like that song because it doesn't seem like loving. And I thought, what a, what a poignant <laughs> message in our in our culture where we're not trained to hear the voice of God. We're trained to hear wow, what yeah. we want to hear, right? So yeah. God is love and God is great and God's merciful. But we don't ever want to hear the flip side of the coin that God is also justice and he's got yeah. wrath for the unbeliever. And it's funny that when we, even when we sing a song about that, people don't know how to react to it. And yeah. now, granted, I've had to sing it a few times. It is a bit awkward to sing about crushing your friends yeah, and right? people into dust, but... The book of Psalms is our worship book, mm-hmm. right? So, and how many of those are about preparing for battle? Yeah. Being the one, like so many of those songs, I think that was really like important for us to grasp, I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, that's um, good. Uh, you brought up the point of singing kind of the imprecatory prayers or some, kind of some of those <laughs> kind of intense ones. And there is a small ebook by uh, Peter Lightheart, and he talked about those imprecatory prayers and not only do we, of course, want God to vanquish our enemies, right? If we have any kind of enemy in this world, you know, whether it's a politician or a terrorist group or something, like, why do we feel weird at all if God's like, oh, I'll take care of them for you? Like, of course, we'd be like, well, that's great. But he said that also, when God saved us, he vanquished an enemy, right? Our sinful nature. And so, there's a way to pray the imprecatory prayers or to sing them and think about like I was an enemy of God and he did away with me by giving me a new nature. And so part of praying imprecatory prayers or singing that on our enemies is that God would do the same for them. 
Amen. That's great. That was... yeah, that's uh, that's really really good. All right, I got I got another one here for you. This one's not funny. This is a very serious one. All right. It happened in the UK, so I don't know if you've heard about this. Okay. The UK, I think, is like. I think if you if we were to look at uh, liberalism, the UK is even farther than Canada, and I think Canada is farther than the states um, right now. To just I, in my opinion, okay. uh, but a UK judge ordered a woman with a mental disability to abort her child against her will. Oh yeah, you heard about this story? Yeah, we obviously everybody I think who's listened to this podcast and your podcast for more than one episode knows where we stand on the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. My point on this one I thought was was interesting is this, now it's not becoming just the woman's choice or the person's choice. The government is now telling us when and where we can have babies. And the way I look at this is if the UK is there, we're four or five years behind them right. before we're adopting this ideology as well. And then you guys hopefully uh, – well, not hopefully in this case, hopefully not, but I mean generally follow behind us in these areas. So – if we as Christians all believe no, there's no separation between church and state, I think you guys would affirm that, we would affirm that on the rebels, that there is no neutrality. Right. The government is now mandating us in, in the UK to only be able to have babies when they want us to. My question here on this is, one, what's your thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. And two, at what point do we have to say that this government is completely corrupt and right. do something about it? Yeah, so a few <laughs> things pop into my head and – one of them is that they're just trying to catch up to China, right? Oh, interesting. So China has, you know, for years and years, they were forcing only one child or you had to abort girls until you got a boy. And then maybe they would allow you to have more more kids than the one boy. And then all of a sudden they realized they had all these boys and they didn't have anybody to marry. And they created all these issues for themselves in China. But China has had state mandated abortions for decades and... I mean, we see the repercussions there, and that's a communist state. So, good job, you know, England. You're just headed right on to a communist state. But the other thing is that it shows you, too, the complete disregard for the family unit because, okay, so she has, you know, a mental illness, whatever that is, because they name everything a mental illness, right? If a boy jumps more than 10 times a day, he's got ADHD or something. You know, there's overdiagnosed mental illnesses. Whatever it is, it denies that there's any friends or family at all that would even help take care of the kid. I don't know their reasoning if that's what it was. She won't be able to take care of the kid. So, you know, even though she says she wants it, she doesn't have the ability to. And, you know, we being God are going to make this decision for her. And so it just denies the family unit. It denies the importance or the, even the possibility that there could be family and friends or an orphanage or a family to adopt it. I mean, there's so many other ways that don't include yeah, murder that they could have gone to. But it's it's that God mentality, though. It's the God complex that we decide who will live and who will die. It's absolutely right. It's, a, it's what happens when we start to, as Christians, as the church abdicates our responsibilities for taking care of the poor, yeah. taking care of the, the widow, taking care of the disabled. We abdicated that for so long, based on bad theology, mm-hmm. we abdicated that for so long that now we've created almost the beast of the government that thinks that this is their job to mandate. Where it's like, no, as you said, they're, they're just completely ignoring the idea that there could be people around them 
that can help, that can take the burden of responsibility off this, this young lady and help the situation. You know what I mean? And they think that they have a right to do that because as we so often say that culture is just the church's report card, right? So we've abdicated for so long. And I think it stems back to what we talked about in the first Rebel News, that bad theology creates bad works, if if that makes sense. Where it's like, well, we so long thought the world was just going to completely go down the toilet, so we we pulled ourselves out of everything. We stopped trying to influence things like the government. Mm -hmm. We, We let them have responsibility for taking care of the poor, taking care of the broken. And then we get to a situation where we now are shocked when they take their viewpoint to the fullest degree and say, well, we don't have to take care of this person forever. We just stop them before they're born. You know what I mean? So yeah. it becomes sickening, but it's understandable kind of when you think of it in terms of how they would look at the situation where it's like, well, they don't, they don't want to have to take care of another person, right? It's disgusting, but it's a good indication of why we should be in things like government, hospitals, yeah. As Christians, because then we can start to influence from the inside what we want changed. You know what I mean? It's, I think it's equally important for us to advocate for things, but we also need to be the kind of people who are taking those roles up in like being judges, being lawyers, being doctors, being teachers, so that we can change what we want changed internally. Teachers is probably a touchy one, but I mean, <laughs> uh, you, know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's easier for us to fight from the inside sometimes, right? So. Yeah. And in a place like England, and this happens everywhere, that just normal, everyday, ordinary obedience is where it all begins to, right? Get married, have a family, obey the Great Commission, serve your church. Those little things is where it all starts. And then from there, wherever you work, Pooty, where I work, where everyone works, it will just start to grow legs and start walking. And then, you know, because... Man, with England, you you think of the Church of England and, oh, it was such a good thing so long ago. And then now it's a hissing and a byword. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, they're yeah. They're, they're useless. It's still a state church and they do, they do nothing about this sort of yeah. thing, you know? Amen. I, I love what you said about it doesn't take anything drastic to change the culture like we want. It doesn't take anything special to change your culture. It takes faithful obedience to the word of God, right. doing the things that are commanded and the things that you're able to do that are laid out before you. Get married, treat your wife with respect, mm-hmm. have a family, raise your kids up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, do your work, be a good steward, yeah. and be a good citizen, and be kind to your neighbors. It doesn't take anything crazy. It doesn't take you to have a special skill, me to have a special skill. We don't all have to be great preachers. We don't all have to be great teachers. All we have to do is be good, faithful students of the Word of God, and that will be what changes the culture. I think it's not to get too political, but I think Islam gets this, whereas like yeah. Christianity almost seems to forget this. Like You don't hear of famous Muslim people coming out and trying to rally up as evangelicals. No, they just have tons of babies, move <laughs> into a culture, and start assimilating that culture yeah. with theirs. And what happens? Islam becomes one of the fastest growing religions on the earth. Mm-hmm. And everybody has neighbors and knows people who are because they're just faithfully living out what they believe. Whereas Christians, we seem to not understand that it doesn't take anything special. We all want to be a hero when our hero already came, lived the perfect life, and ascended and has left us to do the work. Right. All we have to do now is be obedient to what he told us to do. Yeah. So awesome. yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a good place to land. Right. Um, we'll leave it with that. Anything else you want to say, Grant, before you, before we head out? I just want to say thank you for having me 
on the Rebel Podcast, and I just loved having this conversation with you, Pooty. This was fun, just you and I. We should do this again. We should do this again. <laughs> and next time, I'll, I'll try to have as good of a mustache as you do. But you got a nice um, beard. You got it looks. You look really warm. You know, that, <laughs> which is probably really helpful up there. Well, it is. It is Canada, so <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. That's good. That's good. Actually, uh, let me just before we go, let me just throw out one little gripe I have. Okay. I've had this beard for about 10 years. Nice. Never shaved it. I quaff it. I do all the things you need to do. Okay. Nate shaves like three weeks ago. He shaved already a bigger, longer, thicker beard than I have. Are you serious? Guys, like, he grows it like this. It blows my mind. Man, that's ridiculous. It's so frustrating. Nope. Yeah. That's his one fault. I have beard envy of Nate. It's <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. It makes me upset. But I'm anyway, glad you could you. get that out. I'm glad you could get that out. That's good. <laughs> I love it. There, that's live on the recording. Everybody knows that I have beard of you, mate. All right. Uh, no yeah. Well, thanks very much, my friend. Uh, let's do this again sometime, and uh, have awesome. a great one. Okay, guys. All right. Cheers.